We are in Genesis, working our way through, and we come to chapter 12. Last time, we looked at the first three verses, this covenant that God had made with Abram, and he had spoke this to him way back when he was at the Ur of the Chaldees. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, years and years earlier, when they were in the Ur of the Chaldees, get out of your country which he did do, get from your family and from your father's house, which he did not do, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families or people groups of the earth shall be blessed. And uh, so we see that God got this Arab guy from Iraq down at the southern part towards the Persian Gulf, about 225 miles from Baghdad south, from the Ur Chaldees, Nazaria, Iraq today. And he said, you need to leave your family. But we saw in chapter 11, where Terah, his dad, said, okay, let's all go, fam. And he went, and uh, his son Haran had died, and he took his nephew Lot, because Abraham was sort of raising him. That's the expectation they had. And um, they get stuck in a place called Haran, named after the son that had died, so a, a place, no doubt, they named. And they're stuck there. Tara means to be delayed, and Haran means a fruit, fruitless place, an empty place. So they were stuck in a place of emptiness. So Abraham, by not obeying God, thinking I don't want to curse my dad by leaving him, really cursed his dad by not leaving him. And now he's going to bring his nephew Lot with him, which is also going to be a cursing. God didn't say, leave your family because I hate them and I want you to hate them and, you know, make sure you uh, let him yell at him on the way. You know, he, he, he's not trying to curse them. He's trying to bless them. But in blessing them, he has to separate Abram, which is going to be really uh, a standard. The children of Israel need to keep themselves separate from all other peoples. So at this point, you have one Hebrew, really, Abram. Uh, His dad wasn't, his brother wasn't, his nephew wasn't. Probably even Sarah really wasn't, technically, but maybe two of them. And verse 4, finally, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken many years before, maybe even decades before, and Lot went with him. So again, we see, as we saw at the end of chapter 11, a partial obedience and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So that's a, good, that's a good point to help us to know. So let's say he was 40 or 50 when he left Ur and got stuck in Haran. Uh, he spent decades there. Remember, Sarai is 10 years younger, so she'd be 65. So this is a, good, a, good, this is a really helpful point. Because next week, we're going to be getting into chapter 14 and 15, And we're going to be seeing that he's 86 years old when Ishmael uh, is born. So it's going to start being very, very important. And um, 
In verse 5 now, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land to a place of Shechem. Later, that will be known as Samaria. Later, we're going to see Jacob digging wells in Shechem. So he's in the promised land and on the, the area that later would be called Samaria, um, which is in northern Israel, uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem's in southern Israel. Sea of Galilee is in northern Israel. Jesus came from the northern part of Israel, uh, the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth. So they're in the northern part uh, heading down towards Jerusalem area. And anyway, at Shechem, as far as the Tenerbeth tree of Morai, and the Canaanites were in the land, but they were a non-issue. In verse 7, And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Abraham, I, I don't know all that God revealed to him about himself, but he was not following in the idolatrous pagan practices. What did he know about God at this point? Very, very little. A matter of fact, we know a lot about man. We know about Adam and Eve sinning, about Cain killing his brother, about the wickedness of the earth and God destroyed it with a flood, and about the wickedness of the Tower of Babel. And we see God's interaction with this. But when you really look at God revealing himself and giving words of wisdom and insight into his nature, of course, there's a lot of insight in creation itself, right? All things have been made in God's nature to some degree. But outside of that, but Abraham, either way, as little light as he had, he did have a true worship of God and had an altar there and, and worshiped. And in verse 8, he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. Beth is what? You guys know what that is? House. El is? God, house of God. Later we'll see Bethlehem, house of bread. So he, he's at the east of the house of God, Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And you can look up Ai. It means a heap of runes. <laughs> Abraham was building altars where? On the west was the house of God in the distance. On the left was Ai, the Hebrew of runs. And he is in the middle of the two, worshiping God. Isn't that where we're at? We're in the middle of the two. We know heaven is coming and how we long for it. And we look at this world, and it's a heap of ruins, and getting more of a heap of ruins every day, right? 
I mean, I just saw a special report and they were showing the, the homeless crisis in Seattle and San Francisco and LA and, and, and all over in New York and Chicago. It's just out of control and nobody, all the king's men and all the king's horses, they have no idea how to deal with this. And, and they literally figured out how to build houses for all these people. And it was going to come out about $700,000 a unit. And it's sort of like, are, are you insane? So these guys can go in there and make it look like trash in a week and sit in there and do drugs. And it, it's, it's insane. We're in a heap of funds. And, and so we are torn because this planet's beautiful. Life is wonderful. Family is great. There's so many wonderful things. But we are worshiping God, but we are in between the two. We're on this earth that's a heap of ruins. Naked you came in, naked you go out. You can't take it with you. Everything's empty. You know, I, I've, I've been with people that have been building houses. I mean, very nice houses, and they're ordering you know, this tile from um, Italy and they're getting this marble from Rome and, you know, and they're getting all, they put all this money into it. And a month after they live in that house, they're just walking on a floor, even though that floor costs them $100,000 because it's a rare marble from wherever. You, you just realize it, it could be solid gold and they wouldn't even notice it. It's just empty. This life is empty at its best. It's just a heap of runs. And, and naked we came in, naked we go out. It's, you know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? Being that person at the feet of Jesus, seeking him first and his kingdom and his righteousness and all this earth stuff, he adds it to us as we need it. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Outside of that, we're here such a short time. It's almost irrelevant. But here we see Abraham is this guy who builds altar between Bethel and Ai. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Again, L-O, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Yah. Um, to Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. So he's heading towards the south where Jerusalem and Bethlehem and beyond. Uh, a very important place we're going to see here in a minute called Hebron, past Bethlehem. Now, interesting, he says, I'm giving this land to you and to your descendants. You know, this is a very discussed issue regularly to this day, whose land is it? <laughs> and, and everybody since the day they got to Israel and, and created a country in 1948 have been trying to get them to give up the land. I just want to settle that issue. You guys got a, a page of verses here tonight, right? As you came in? Well, so let's look there. Stephen, in his sermon, he, he lets us know this is during the time of Christ, 2,000 years ago. And he said, God gave him no inheritance in it. He didn't build a country. He was a wonder in a tent, Abraham, till the day he died, even though he set his, wherever he set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him 
as a possession and to his descendants after him. Stephen is quoting the verse out of chapter 12 we just read. Now we're going to be seeing even tonight here in chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, it says there, And the Lord said to Abraham, and after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes and look towards the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which I, you see I give to you and your descendants, what does it say? Forever. Do we understand that? That all the other boundaries of the earth, God has not dealt them out. He didn't give Egypt a boundary. He didn't give boundaries to other parts of the world. He set up one country with boundaries, and that was Israel. And that is the land that God has given to Abraham and his descendants. To this point, he's only given him a very small amount, about 6% of the land promised. We're going to look at it next week, and I'll have a map for you to show you what should be the land of Israel and what actually is the land of Israel. It's a dot compared. They've never possessed it. The best they've ever done was under King David and Solomon was about 10%. Today, it's about 6%. But when Jesus comes in the middle of the rain and we are ruling and reigning with him, he, all the land of Israel for the first time will be there. And it will be there for a thousand years until he makes a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And in verse, chapter 17, verse 7, I just want to settle this. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for a what? everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. We talked about this where God chose Noah for a mission. He chose Moses for a mission. But in the choosing of Abraham, it was different because he said, Abraham, what I'm doing in you is going to have a continuation forever. The other person who had that was David. The Messiah said, I will sit upon the throne of David forever. That his reign and his kingdom, there would be no end of that of King David. Uh, because his descendant will be King Jesus on that throne of David's. So these two people are unique in history. And he made to Abraham a covenant that would go throughout eternity. And there in Genesis 17, 8. Also, I give to you, your descendants after you, the land in which you are stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. There it is. And I will be their God. In Genesis 48, 4, <clears throat> and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply, and I will make you uh, a multitude of people and give to this land to your descendants after you as, it says it again, an everlasting possession. Of course, this would have been um, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. In Exodus 32, 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. This is Moses talking to God, telling him to forgive the people. And he, you, you, you said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember when Moses was talking to him? Um, who do I say you are, Lord? 
Go tell them I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm Abraham and God is my God. But when you're God saying, how am I going to be identified in the earth? Okay, here's my identification. I'm the God of those guys and their descendants. That's just mind-blowing to me. But he said, you said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And on all this land that I have spoken, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So he, God's wanting to wipe all the people out because of their idolatrous ways. And Moses is being a type of Christ there. And he said, no, you, you can't do that because you promised uh, forever that you would get them there one way or another. They would get in that land and they would possess it forever. And he pitched a tent there. There's something special about Abraham never being able to build a city and live in it. Forever, he's this guy in the tent moving around. Now, that's a pretty cool thing. I don't know if you know, but there's a lot of people living in mobile homes now for that very reason. It's like, yeah, where do you live? Wherever I want, you know? They park it in Colorado for a while, and then they go to Florida for a while, and go up to the Dakotas for a while, go to Canada for a while, go live in Alaska for a while. And, and they're, sometimes they, they have their whole families with their kids, and they're doing homeschooling, and, and they are just literally uh, nomads. And uh, this was Abraham. He, he was a guy that lived in a tent, and he had no possession of a land with ownership documents but yet he was the owner of everything because God said, wherever you put your foot, that's going to be it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 to 10, listen to God's description here. Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, that's an interesting thing. Pack your bags. Where are you going? Don't worry about that. Just go. He, hadn't, he really didn't know where he was going to end up. But when he finally got into the land and he's at Shechem, God said, okay, now, this is the land. Oh, okay. Now, he had been gone from the Ur of Chaldees for decades at that point, got stuck in Haran. God said nothing to him. He said, leave your father's house. He didn't. Leave your family. He didn't. Now he's still only partial obeyed, but God is saying, well, this is close enough. I'll talk to you again. <laughs> so he hadn't talked to him for probably decades, but now he's in Shechem and God talks to him and said, okay, look every direction you can. This is the land. And, uh, so he went out by faith, not knowing where he's going. In, in Hebrews eleven nine, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in the tents, and Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, I love this, which has foundations, who builder and maker is God. Isn't that radical? So on one side, he's like going, man, I, I'm not a possessor here. I don't own anything. I don't have a document saying, hey, these 300 acres is yours. Now, now, why am I making a point of this? Because we're going to get to the end of chapter 14, and Melchizedek, Jesus, is going to show up. And you know the first thing he says to Abraham? Hey, Abraham, you're the possessor 
of all the earth and all the heavens. You're possessor of the heaven and the earth. And it goes right to the soul of Abraham. And the next day when he talks to the king of Sodom, and he says, hey, I don't want any of your stuff because I am a servant of God who possesses the heavens and the earth. You see, he had God. So whatever God had was his. God says, I'm your God. So whatever I have is yours. You don't need a piece of paper saying you own this spot of land over here. You're a possessor of it all. So God is beginning to do something. And there was a point where he just realized, I'm free. I'm free. I'm a possessor of all things. Because soon I'm leaving this body. I'm going to go be with the Lord. And it, what, again, naked we came in, naked we go out. Well, in Hebrews 11, verse 14 to 16, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have that opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a city for them. The psalmist in Psalm 84, 5 says this, Blessed is the man whose strength is in, the, in you, in the Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Jesus says, don't store your treasures up on this earth. Why? It's dangerous. Because wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be there also. Right? But store your treasure up in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And on the earth, you're worried about it. Is it going to get stolen? Is it going to, the rust going to eat it up? Is the moth going to destroy it? You know, are the grandkids going to destroy it? <laughs> is a, a smash and grab going to happen? Uh, it's very possible today. But yet, when everything's in heaven, I don't have to worry about it. The interest rate is fine in heaven. Well, going on now in Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Interesting, Abraham, like most of us, found it easier to trust God in a far-off promises than in the right-now needs. It took him forever to get there, <laughs> But soon as he gets there, there's a famine and everybody's exiting. Down in Egypt now, they had the Nile. They got a lot of water happening in Egypt at this time. What does Abraham do? Well, he needs to inquire of the Lord. He needs to find out what God's plans are. But he doesn't know God intimately. Again, whatever piece of information he knows about God, he, he's not connecting the promises of God as real in his life in present time. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you, all the families of the earth, are going to be blessed. They, anybody curse you, cursed. Anybody bless you, they're going to be blessed. You're my man from this point forward forever. It's an eternal thing. But he didn't connect it. So I'm in this land, but I got to leave like everybody else because I, I got to take care of my family and I got to make sure we have something to drink and eat and we can make it through a famine. 
And so off he goes down to Egypt. Understand, every time you see Egypt, pretty much God's people are going down when they go there for the most part. But we know something that Abraham didn't know. I hope we obey better than Abraham did too. But we need to trust in the Lord with what? All our heart. The next line's important. What? Lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know, I've lived long enough, and many of you have, when you've been in impossible situations. Just impossible situations. I, I remember when I first started pastoring in, in San Diego, and uh, we were saving up all the money we could to buy a piece of property. And literally, we were looking at two or three properties. That was all that were available. And they were going for like $300,000 at the time. And we weren't anywhere in that ballpark at that time. But within eight months, that same property went up to almost $2 million in value. We couldn't afford it when it was $300,000. Now it's almost $2 million. It was like $1.89 for little three acres of property, which really wasn't really big enough for us to use anyway. We just it wouldn't have given us enough parking to the size our church was. And I just remember one Sunday morning, about 3.30 in the morning, just going and sitting on a hill and looking, going, it, it's impossible. At that time, we had been gone six or seven years, and it was really hard. It was just, it was a very difficult setting up and tearing down. It was just a difficult thing at that time. Um, and, there, and I just, and the Lord just spoke to me and, and just made it clear. So, you know, whose church is this, Brian? And, and what's your plan? Well, I don't have a plan. It's your plan, Lord. That's right. Is anything hard for me? No, there's not. And uh, a, a few weeks later, this property right around the corner from our meeting goes up for sale. Didn't even know it was possible. Right on the freeway. Beautiful property. I inquired and they wanted 100 and I don't remember now, 74,000. And we had 174,000. That was it. And I just thought, this is too good to be true. And we went to give our offer and all these other offers were in too. But everybody tried to lowball the, the price. We were the only ones who offered full price and they gave it to us. And it was actually a Spanish-speaking Jewish congregation from Tijuana that had moved their congregation there, but then they had a church split. And anyway, there we were with this property. And they told us, you'll never be able to build there. One by one, by next, miracle after miracle, the Lord uh, did it. It was... But do you think the next building we had, I had a lot of faith? <laughs> no, it was the same thing. The same thing. It was just one difficult thing after the next. I, I remember it was right before the, the it was in the time of a building boom. And um, we were, had everything. It took us a year to line up all the contracts and everything, you know, to get it all synced, to, to get this thing done. And the bank said, hey, you know, you got to have 10%. That time we were borrowing like $4 million. You have to have 10% in the bank for us to give the loan Monday. 
They told us this on Monday. Had they told us a week early, we could have said, hey, to the church, hey, we got to have this much money. We had nothing. We had been paying for everything out of pocket. And um, we're just going, okay. And they, they said, you have to have it. You can't get it from somebody. You can't borrow it. It's got to be your money that somebody gave flat out. We're like, how much do we have? It was like $34,000, and we needed 400000 by Friday. And at that point, I was just at the end of myself. I'm just like, okay, God, it's in your, your control. And uh, a guy in the church knew him very little. Um, he, he called and said, hey, can I, I, I see you? And, and uh, anyway, he, he said, I just got laid off. But my boss that I've been working for gave me a, a good severance. And I didn't, I just couldn't wait till Sunday to, to tithe. And uh, so I just, I just wanted to give the check now. And he gave it to, and this, this wasn't meeting me, this was meeting our financial guy. And anyway, it was a check for like $370,000. It came out to almost exactly 400000 And the check was cleared on Thursday and then Friday, the money was there, and Monday we started. I, I can just tell you so many stories like that. It, it's an amazing thing. And so God could have bought water out of a rock like he did later with Moses. He could have brought food down from heaven uh, by ravens like he did for Elijah. I mean, dude, God is infinite. You know, when you sit in an airport and you're like, how many different types of mold did God make? People are just all so unique, aren't they? It just amazes me. And God's been doing this for 6,000 years. Creating a different nose, a different ear, a different eye, different hair color, a different hair texture, a different height, a different way of walking. And then it's always funny. You see the dad and then his son's walking just like the dad, you know, and you just got to sit there and laugh at God. So Abraham finally gets to the land. I mean, had he got to the land 40 years earlier like he was supposed to, (laughs) he could have been there for a few years before the famine came and tested him. But as it turned out, as soon as he gets there, his face is tested. And he doesn't know God well enough to know that God would have told him probably, stay put and watch me take care of you. But instead, he made the foolish thing and he went down to Egypt, right? So in verse 11 through 13, and it came to pass when he uh, was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are the woman of beautiful countenance. So far, so good. Hey, Sarai, did I, have I told you lately how amazingly beautiful you are? All right, so far, so good. But therefore, it happens when the Egyptians are going to see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. Let's uh, kill this guy and, uh, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So please say, you are my sister, that it may be well with you for your sake that I may live because of you. So I'm trying to bless you by staying alive is the way he says it. Quite, quite uh, nuanced in his words there, but the bottom line is he, he thought I, I could die. Now, if you would have understood that God had just said, you're going to have descendants as many as the stars of the heavens, you're going to, he, he couldn't die because he hadn't had any kids yet. 
But again, he didn't have faith. But as we're going to see in chapter 22, when he offers up Isaac, he had a lot. He had faith, believing that God could raise even one from the dead. But at this point, he doesn't. In verse 14 and 15 here, so it was when Abram came into Egypt that Egypt saw the woman, that he was, she was very beautiful. And the prince of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house uh, in, into his uh, group of all his, his wives, you know. And in verse 16 um, to 20, and he treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai and Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your wife? For why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, hear your wife, take her and go away. So the Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife with all that he had. He's shaming him by making him keep all the wealth that he had been given him through the months or years that he was there. So here's Abraham getting rebuked by this pagan Pharaoh, this pagan king. And he's like, the whole country's getting plagued. I don't know what was happening. But they were all clearly had a, a, a disease destroying the country. And he said, I could have married her and that disease would have remained. Now I'm going to get rid of you and get rid of the disease. Because, you know, I, I could have ended up crossing the line that couldn't have been come back. Interesting, they, they call her in verse uh, 14 and 15, the woman. We saw the woman, the woman. They had no idea how sacred this woman was to God. That it was through her that her child and ultimately the Messiah would come and that she had to remain unviolated. So Abraham, you think about it. Dad, I'm going, leaving. Oh, we'll all go with you. He curses his dad. He dies there in Haran, this fruitless place. Abraham leaves. He takes Lot with him. We're going to see in the next chapter 13. He curses Lot. But what does he do there? He curses a whole country by not being in the place he's supposed to be, walking by faith. And of course, what happens when he's in Egypt? Who does he pick up? Hagar. You know what happens with Hagar, right? She ends up having a child, Ishmael, who is still cursing Israel. The descendants of Ishmael are still cursing Israel to this day. And in chapter 13, Lot goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to look at it right now for a couple of minutes. And what happens there? His daughters eventually have incest with him. And he has two grandkids, which also is his kids. It's one of those things, again, how can this uh, grandchild also be your child if your daughters molest you? And uh, one is Ammon, the other's Moab, the Ammonites and the Moabites, who ended up being a curse to Israel. And God eventually had to destroy them uh, from the earth. Why? Because 
Instead of just being honest, saying, Lot, you can't come with me. I know that the right cultural thing to do is I, as your uncle, raise you, and Nahor is raising your sister Milka, but I, I, I can't. You can't come with me. Dad, you can't come with me. Sorry. God said this. Specifically, he said, my father's house and all my family. And of course, Abraham eventually would have been a blessing to him. Because remember, when Isaac was going to have a bride, what did they do? They went back home to his cousins. Because that's what they did in that culture. They married their cousins, first and second cousins. So Isaac, his, uh, Abraham's servant goes back and, and from that family gets a cousin, brings back and Isaac has a bride. Later, Jacob goes back and that's where he gets his bride. So they would have been coming back and, and blessing them through the marriage of their sons. But instead, he ends up cursing them and cursing his descendants as well. What does Galatians 6 say? God will not be mocked. <laughs> that which you sow, you're going to what? Reap. And in these situations, Abraham built cactus. You know, he, he put a little seed in the ground and then it came up this big giant cactus that just caused everybody to bleed. Well, <clears throat> in chapter 13 here, so Abraham went up to Egypt, uh, up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. When you're going to live in a tent your whole life and never be able to put down roots, you know what you want? You don't want piles of silver and gold. You think about it, he carried that around his whole life and never was able to use any of it. It was just a big, giant, white elephant. Well, in verse 3 there, and he went on his way from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning from Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there first and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord back to where he started <laughs> it took him forever to get there and then as soon as he gets there he leaves and goes to Egypt and now he's finally back did you realize how sweet God's plan was for Abraham I mean a picture of this him and Sarai the two of them were to leave and go live in a tent touring Israel their whole life. God protecting them, God speaking to them, God blessing them. But instead, they end up around. They got this giant amount of people and animals from Haran, and now they leave Egypt, and they got even more still. Very complicated, very difficult. But he finally comes back to that place, like the Lord said to the church of Ephesus, right? There's one thing I have against you. You've left that first love. And in this case, you, you just left the sweet spot where Chuck used to say, to live under the spout where the blessings flow out. Remember from where you have fallen, get back to that place. Repent and get back to that place and do those works you did at the beginning. So finally, he's back to where he started and God once again speaks to him. But notice what happens in verse five. Lot also who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. He also became wealthy. He shouldn't have been there, but he was. In verse 6, now the Lord had not uh, able to support them, for the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions had so great that they could not dwell 
together. All the stuff they had was too much stuff. And verse 7, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and livestock and the herdsmen of Lot, livestock. And Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. But again, there's still a non-issue. In verse 11, or verse 8 now, And Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. This is the country of Jordan today on the opposite side of the Dead Sea. That it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, looks like the Garden of Eden. And also like the land of what? Egypt, as you go down towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So Lot doesn't defer to his uncle Abraham. Abraham, you're the patriarch. We're here because God spoke to you. No, 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 you choose, and I'll go the other way. His heart is not at all normal, as customary it would be, but a tender heart. And he sees this place, and it's worldly and ungodly and pagan, like Egypt. And, you know, you can take the boy out of the Egypt. You can't take Egypt out of the boy. He's like, man, I want to go down and live this godless life with all of this beautiful grassy area with a lot of water and a lot of wealth and I got a lot of wealth and man it's going to be great living down there in this wicked pagan place and he chose it for himself and he separated so finally Abraham and Sarai have left their family through God's help and through circumstances through difficulty but understand Lot has just or that Abraham has just permanently cursed his nephew Lot. Because Lot would go down there, and even though he was a righteous man, Peter tells us, we'd never know that if Peter didn't tell us, but it says his righteous, Lot was a righteous man, his righteous soul was vexed every day. His wife was into that culture, his kids were into that culture, and eventually Lot would lose everything. Everything. Because he wasn't in the Ur Chaldees where he should have been. But Lot, but Abraham was bringing him because he didn't want to curse him by leaving him alone when that would have been a blessing. God wasn't trying to hurt Terah, wasn't trying to hurt Lot. He was trying to help them because the work that God had for Abraham, he needed to be separate and alone. Well, in verse 12 and 13, and Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful. How? Against the Lord. Remember, Nabal, we saw in chapter 10 and 11, that was their heart. They were against the Lord in building the Tower of Babel. Well, um, in verse 14 and 15, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now 
Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. So after Terah died, he goes to the promised land. God speaks to him. Now, after he separates from Lot, God speaks to him. And in verse 16 through 18, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Now, we're going to find God says like the stars, like the sand of the sea, but only here he says dust. Uh, I'm going to make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and through its width, for I give it to you. And Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the tenderbith tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Another significant place, Hebron. That's where eventually Sarah would get sick and die. And the only land that Abraham ever bought was just enough to bury his wife and later be buried there himself. A sort of a burial ground. There was others buried there. But interesting enough, when David was fleeing from Saul with his mighty men, they lived in Hebron for a while till they couldn't. They had to flee. But after Saul died, he moved back with all his mighty men. And for seven years from Hebron, David was the king and ended up keeping a palace there because he sort of went back and forth from Jerusalem to Hebron and his kids. And it was sort of like a summer dwelling, I think, or something, or when the harvest was happening. But um, it was also where the kings were anointed as king was in Hebron. We'll see more of that as we come into it. Today, it's about 20 miles out of Jerusalem, sort of in between Bethlehem and um, past Bethlehem, excuse me, Bethlehem sort of in the center between Jerusalem and Hebron. So if you leave south, you got Bethlehem about five, ten miles away, and then about another ten miles you have Hebron in that direction. Well, I wanted to finish chapter 13 tonight because next week we're going to end in talking about Lot as Abraham has to go and put an army together and save him. But the most important thing is that he meets this guy, Melchizedek. And we're going to talk about that story and how significant it is. In John 8, um, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And this is that story. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. As we go line upon line and precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, Lord. We, we realize that all the promises of God are yea and amen to us. And that the things that you have spoken to Abraham, you've also spoken to us. And that actually we are the children of Abraham by faith. And Lord, we thank you that your plan for us, a predestined plan for us to do good works, that you've created each one of us a work of art, predestined ahead of time, good works, that we would walk in them. And we see that, know that all the scriptures, as in Romans 15, were written aforetime for our instruction and learning. That as we see Abraham and see how he made mistakes, that we would learn from those mistakes. That we would see the fleshly, foolish decisions and to realize they're still cursing him and his children to this day, 4,000 years later that we would understand it's a deep thing when we reap what we sow. 
that your blessings are too great when we walk in obedience and the flesh is too painful and makes things too complicated and pokes and causes us to bleed in too many ways. So Lord, we just ask God that we hear you saying, seek me first in my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We hear you saying to walk in the land and meditate on the word day and night and your leaf won't wither. You'll bear fruit in your season and whatever you touch, wherever you put your foot, it will prosper. Wow. Who else gives such, has such blessings? What other God has spoken such blessings to his children? And that we have a 24-hour a day, seven days a week entry into your throne room that we can pray without ceasing. Even asking you to move mountains and cast them into the sea, nothing's too great. If we come to the Father in your name, Jesus, you want to do it that our joy would be made full. Lord, we, we, want, we come, Lord. We come back to our first love. We come back to this place to build an altar between Bethel and Ai. And, and we just say, Lord, we want to be those people just so simple, our life to be so simple that we're not wrapped up in the world and all the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. And we're all wrapped up with a thousand tentacles. So when we've got to leave Sodom as we live in Sodom and Gomorrah today we don't we're not like Lot's wife and we have all these tentacles still loving the world and the things in it we are turned to a pillar of salt and but you said Lord to get our eyes upon you and walk in a way that we're worthy to be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon the earth now unto you who's able to keep us from falling and to establish us in your kingdom with great joy. We thank you. You are the God of guys like Abraham and guys like Jacob and guys like Isaac and guys like us. You're our God. Protecting us in our foolishness when we end up in Egypt. Watching over us as our faith is growing, we thank you, Lord. Lead all of us right now to green pastures, Lord. By the still waters, restore our souls. If there's any tonight that are just battered and bruised and bleeding and wounded from the flesh, your flesh, from the world, the attacks of the enemy, from maybe cactus you planted 20 years ago, <laughs> Right now, just press into the Lord. Say, Lord, here I am. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I don't want to try to be wise in my own mind, Lord. I, I just want to come and, and just yield myself before you and live that life altered just in that place of praying without ceasing and worshiping you constantly in my heart, singing, making melody in my heart as your word is just richly being chewed on and my inner man's being strengthened. Lord, just, we just come 
Heal us, Lord. Strengthen us.